0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development
1: Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, here with a really exciting guest, Tony Hughes. Thanks for joining us, Tony. Uh, before he introduces himself, I want to give a little bit of background on Tony. He's been a 35-year veteran in business. He's run companies in the UA- USA, Asia Pacific, all over the place. And we're talking about multinational telecom groups, tech firms. I'm going to give him more detailed bio later on. So Tony doesn't have to sit through it. But I will just say one quote that really stood out when we were talking earlier. He does things from the real world that actually work. And he said, tested in the furnace of execution, which I can't wait to ask you more about in a minute, Tony. But I will say that those of you who are regular listeners have heard Tony's co-author, Justin Michael, talk about a book that you if you are watching on YouTube, can actually see behind Tony on his bookcase. So it might be a name you've heard before on our podcast, and now we're excited to have him
1: directly. Tony, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Harry. I'm really looking forward to the conversation with you and Eric, and I appreciate being invited onto the show.
2: Let's jump right into the book, because this thing is, is, it kind of will rock your world. (laughs) I mean, it is as deep of a dive into SDR craft and tech and everything associated with prospecting is you're ever likely to find on any bookshelf anywhere.
1: Yeah. Well this this book was a, was a wild journey, you know, Justin and I are very different people and neither Justin on his own nor myself on my own could have ever written this book. So it really brings old school and new school things together. Uh, but everything in the book is is uh, tried and tested and proven. We we had a version of this thing up as a Google Doc uh, for I think about five to seven months, and we had uh, hundreds of people diving in. Uh, we we had people th- throwing rocks at us, you know, saying saying the thing should be should be burned and made illegal. <laughs> uh, you know, we're using te- technology for evil. Um, but you know what what we did is we made sure that this book has genuine soul and purpose. Uh, i've always believed that professional selling is about making a positive difference in the lives of others uh, both for them personally and also professionally in their role in an organization. Uh, and if that's not what we're about as a seller, if that's not the intent that we're seeking to convey uh, we, we are we are in trouble right out of the gate in what we're trying to do uh, in actually making a living. So you, you need to, you need to be lots of things to succeed in selling but one of them is kind of an evangelist. You know, you, you, you need to believe in the positive difference that you can make in someone else's life. Uh, and then you need to really nail your message so that it's got the right context and relevance for them. If those things aren't in place, then automating things uh, just costs a whole lot of money and damages your brand faster.
2: Really well put. Um, I was one of those early eyeballs and maybe even contributed a quote or two uh, (laughs) to to the book. And you know, it was funny, the crowdsourcing aspects of putting the book together, I find to be pretty brilliant and actually very consistent with what you're saying around having soul and purpose and, and being somewhat of an evangelist, because hearing from the community of frankly, lead generation experts is a great way of kind of like moving forward with a lot of, progressive ideas isn't it Tony
1: yeah and and in essence it made the book peer reviewed there's a there's an incredible amount of bad advice uh, out there in the world of, of, of sales uh, often from self-proclaimed gurus who kind of failed as a sales manager and couldn't get another job so they they hang up a shingle you know as, a, as an expert but but the thing we know is is cracking the code of how to build consistent top of funnel pipeline. Uh, in a world where people are just drowning in digital outreach being sprayed at them through like a fire hose is just incredibly difficult, so you, maybe we can talk about you know what it really takes to be successful.
0: You know one question I have with the there are so many great quotes and tips in these books, and as you said, there's so much advice out there either that's bad or often just generic, the same tips that you hear over and over. Everything in your book seems to be actionable. And it stands out as something that if it's not entirely unique, at the very least, is a different angle on something that we haven't seen before. What kind of a filter do you use to try to find? I mean, obviously, crowdsourcing folks, uh, I'm a big fan of Eric and what he thinks as well, obviously. But um, how do you find those little pieces of gold without sounding like everybody else?
1: Well, the thing for me and it's also true of justin i i'm i'm committed to learning in my life uh, i i read I, I listen to others i try to be a critical thinker uh, i know that selling uh, depends on you bringing all of yourself to it so we need to be creative we need to bring our own imagination and passion and creativity personality we need to be the authentic us one of the big problems in enterprise training especially for sdrs and, and I do a lot of this. I, I train organizations like Salesforce, SAP, Alcatel, IBM, <laughs> you know all, all of these big brands. I, I work with them and teach them how to build top of funnel. And I, I say to people, the number one thing you've got to avoid from the time we're having today is to leave here and then talk, start talking like me and sending emails like me because if everyone's doing that, it won't work. Um, so one, one of the things I did in Combo Prospecting, which was the book before Tech Powered Sales, I you know, just talked about the principles. So we we have to pattern interrupt the way that buyers are programmed just to ignore anything that looks like sales and marketing and anything that's from a seller. Because the the reality is uh if we build messages A, that are all about us and don't have a point of view about how the person we're targeting can drive improved results in their role. If we don't have a message that's around that and it's about us. At best, will appeal to the 3% of the market that's actively looking for what we potentially do. But what we know is that about 40% of the market is open to change. So we need to build message, messaging that appeals to the 43%, not just the 3%. So it needs to be about them. But sellers find that really difficult because they're trained relentlessly on their company and their product and their service and their solutions and what they do and and why they're best. Now, if I can just tell you a story, when I first started in sales, um, wow, about um, 25, 30 years ago, I'm I'm sounding old, aren't I? (laughs) Uh, Maybe more than 35 years ago. uh, When an inbound lead came to me, I drove a conversation around why I thought we were uniquely best. And that, and that worked a lot of the time because the buyer was in the mode of comparing me with other options. But the big mistake I made, it was my first big epiphany in selling, was that when I'm driving pipeline creation, that's the wrong conversation. I need to drive a conversation around why change now? You know, what, why would it make sense to consider change now? Because unless the person's committed to change, they're not interested in what it is that we can do for them. So we, we need to build a conversation that speaks to both head and heart. So it talks about a, a, a brighter future, but it's immediately underpinned by the commercial value of change. What, what does the business case look like? Because uh, for everybody that's, that's, uh, that's listening to this or watching this, whether you're a leader or whether you're at the coalface executing, when you create Top of Funnel Pipeline, the thing to realize is that opening is the most difficult and the most important phase of selling, we don't get to create progression and then eventually close unless we open well. Uh, so, the way we open, the, the agenda we set is everything. And I believe that when we qualify a deal, the real things we should be thinking about, so there's all these qualification frameworks, right? But the real thing we should be thinking about is the degree to which the prospect is sharing with us insider information and the degree to which they're giving us access to other people. Because if those two things don't happen, the deal is likely to go nowhere because there's three reasons the deals slip, right? The the deals just stall. Uh, And we all know that most sales leaders feel like they age a whole year of their life every quarter (laughs) trying to do unnatural acts, you know, pulling deals forward because there's not enough pipe, not enough qualified deals. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, no, it's almost, and Eric, it's like pushing on a rope half the time, right? <laughs> pushing worse, on a string. Yeah, it's, it's worse than even pulling, right? But but the thing that happens is, is the reason deals stall, number one reason, is a lack of commercial value in the eyes of the buying organisation. So as our supporter goes to their boss or their boss's boss and says, hey, can you approve this? And often our supporter is busy denying us access to go and sell at that level as well, right? Another problem in opening poorly. But what happens is their boss's boss says, hey, look, I've got 37 things on my desk I'm being asked to approve. We can't do everything. It's not even about the money, it's just about the resources and bandwidth. You know, don't you know we've got a lot of you know change fatigue inside the organization at the moment? I can't, we can't do all 37. Why this? And our contact usually has a rubbish answer to that question. And what's even more terrifying is the salesperson that's forecasting the deal has got a rubbish answer to that question. So we need to think about that person and our seller needs to be able to finish these two sentences. This initiative is essential because and it pays for itself by. So unless unless they can just answer those two things we're in trouble. So the first reason deals stall not enough commercial value in the mind of the buyer. The second reason deals stall and eventually die is just a lack of consensus. And both of these things speak to how we open. The third reason just people are wondering what's the third the third reason Deal stall and die is is uh, excuse the bad language, but just shit happens, right? So like, <laughs> our supporter leaves, they get acquired, they post bad results. You know, there's something else that goes on in their world, and we can't often influence those things. But what we know is that time kills deals. The longer things drag on without good momentum, the higher the probability of something in that third area coming up that causes a problem. So we can create urgency, and we can de-risk the close by anchoring the deal in the positive vision for a brighter future and the commercial value that's underpinning change and making sure the key people are on board. So when we open, right, most critical phase of selling, make sure we do it with a point of view about how they can drive improved results in their their role. So if we don't nail our message, all of these great automation tools, you know, as Justin Michael says, there's a Cambrian explosion, (laughs) you know, of, of, of sales tech stack. Um, you can use all the tech you want, but if you're lo- if you're loading spam and rubbish into your Gatling gun of automation, all you're doing is creating a very expensive mess and and carnage for your own brand.
2: Wow, there's so much to unpack there. One of the things that I wanted to hone in on that you mentioned earlier that's always been a really interesting hobby horse for me to ride is around outbound methodologies mixing with qualification methodologies yeah. because. You know, in my opinion, like you can get really sideways really fast when you start thinking about qualifying people before there's even interest established. And it seems to me that, that especially with your framework and the three things you just laid out, that you would agree.
1: I agree 100%. And let me give everybody watching or listening to this few takeaways. I get really positive feedback about these, these three questions you can ask a prospect. Because Eric, I think you're 100% correct. No buyer likes to feel like they're being qualified by a seller. It's a horror. It's a horrible ever. process ever, ever, right? I true story. I, uh, you guys, this can't be true, but I swear it is. I once had a life insurance uh, salesperson call me and very quickly into the conversation, he said, Hey, Tony, do you love your wife and children? I said, well, yes. <laughs> And I'm thinking, you know, there's going to be a zinger follow-up question here, right? <laughs> and then the next question was, and, and if you weren't around to be able to provide for them anymore, would, would you want to know that, that they'd be okay financially? And I said, well, actually, no, no. And he said, no? I said, yeah, the, the answer's no. I'll be dead. I won't care. And this conversation's over. Right? But the thing was, I just felt like I was being manipulated by it. Like, of course, I love my wife and children. Of course, I'd like them to be OK. You're just asking me questions that that, that are sort of manipulating me. So what we know about buyers today is, is they don't want to be manipul- manipulated by a seller, but more importantly, they don't want their time wasted in being asked to educate somebody about things that person could have discovered elsewhere. So a lot of the qualification questions, A, they're, 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 they're uh, lazy, closed questions to make the person feel they're being qualified or manipulated, or they feel, hey, you could have found this out somewhere else. So what we want to do is we want to convey the intent, hey, I'm just trying to make sense whether investing any time together would, would actually make sense. So do you mind if I ask? And there's there's three questions we want to get to, especially for inbound leads as soon as we can. First question is, Hey, do you mind talking me through what's happened inside the organization that's caused you to want to look at this right now? Don't say look at us as a vendor. <laughs> hey, you know what's happened in the organization that makes you think that science you know would be the best solution for you it's that that's just a salesperson's question but hey, what's going on inside the business that's making you think you want to outsource the top of funnel that's if they were saying saying talk to you yeah and you're just trying to get to what's the trigger event? what would the business case look like? How important is this for the organization? And then the follow-up question is if you were to implement something, you know, if you were to work with someone in this area, you know, us Ruben, our competitor, what improved results would you expect both for you in your role and and for the organisation as a whole? And, And what you're starting to uncover is now another dimension. So we're starting to uncover the business case, the commercial value, why would this be a priority? because it's a big mistake to battle away and create some interest without making sure that it translate to some intent, right? You've got to make sure that there's intent to change. And then that second question starts to discover, are they a person of real influence or power here? Because if they have no idea about that, then they're just an information gatherer in the organization. And now we've started to set an agenda about why we need to talk with someone else. And then the third question, The third question is, hey, where do you see the risks? Where do you see the risks of getting this implemented successfully? Um, And what we know from all of the research is that the one who provides the insights, they're the one that becomes the emotional favourite. So if you're the one that helps them understand where their risks are, how they can manage those, you help them build their business case to get approval, you help them gather consensus so everyone's on board, well, well, they definitely want to buy from you. And if, if they push back on those questions, say, hey, look, Tony, I'm not even sure why you are, you know, why you're asking. I just want you to fill in my Excel spreadsheet with the 874 questions and give me your price. Say, hey, look, <laughs> I'll absolutely do that. But, but I'm, I, I, what I find is it's, it's not uncommon for people in your role to be tasked with putting something in place in this area, but without the right level of executive support or funding. So I'd, I'd just love to work with you to make sure that you get the right level of funding and the right level of executive support for this to be successful, no matter who you decide to go with. So, you know, what, what, what does your business case look like internally for this? Because if you try and do it and it's underfunded or it's not supported properly, it's not going to be successful. And if they refuse to engage in that kind of conversation, in my view, they're not a prospect yep. because, you know, time, time is the big limited resource that we're all, we're all really
0: battling with. So that's where you said you know the most important two signs that you actually mentioned earlier, at least, were if they'll share insider information and if they'll give you access to other people. Are those the two big signs you look for? And what other things do you use to kind of test whether the prospects are real or not?
1: They they're really the two big things. They're really the two big things. But when we but when we think, I mean, you know, people have got Bant and Medic and. Uh, there's even an acronym called nutcase you know i, I created my own framework rsvp <laughs> you know we've got all we've got all of these frameworks that that's what they book the the joshua principle is about over my shoulder there so but we've all got these frameworks people don't need another framework what they need is meaningful engagement with people right so you're trying to build emotional connection but the interesting thing is is you know i, I was taught when i first started in sales a long time ago is is it's all about asking the right questions and tick i definitely agree with that but then I was taught the way you earn the right to ask questions is establish your own credentials, establish your own credibility and credentials. And I believe today that that's wrong. I believe that's bad advice. Uh, no, nobody's interested in us when we spring from the bushes, you know, with our surprise conversation to a stranger, you know, hey, Mike, you know, it's it's Tony from Sales IQ Global, you know, we're the... We're the the worldwide market leader in e-learning and sales enablement for B2B salespeople. You know, they're thinking, well, I'm not looking for one of those, right? So um, so, so it's a mistake to try and earn the right to ask questions with our own credentials. We need to earn the right to ask questions by showing them that we're relevant and showing them that, that we know them. One of the things we talk about in tech-powered sales, um, it's actually a quote early in the book from me, is that the future of selling, in my opinion, is where buyer sentiment meets seller relevance and that introduction is empowered by technology, right? So if if, if we can monitor, for example, for organizations within our ideal customer profile, right? So there's there's characteristics and attributes of an organization, geo-vertical, typical segmentation, uh, growth mindset in the organization. Maybe they've got a particular tech landscape that's already there. If we sell tech, there'll be tech that we complement. There'll be tech we're really good at replacing. Um, there might be a, a level of hiring going on in a certain part of the business. Now there'll be attributes of the organization that define our ideal customer profile. And then we need to monitor for trigger events because the trigger events give us context and relevance in outreach. And the interesting thing today is there's tech out there that can monitor for trigger events right so you can actually say hey hey mike I look I've noticed you're hiring 14 new SDRs at the moment um and I and and based on having the data it it seems like a lot of that is actually churn the, look the reason for the call is I've actually got some ideas on how you can onboard and ramp your SDRs to productivity faster and in a way that gives you stronger and more consistent pipeline coverage for the AE's Do you mind if I ask, you know, what, how long does it take you to ramp an SDR at the moment? How much pipeline coverage have you got in the business against this quarter versus next quarter? How does that compare with where it needs to be? And no matter what the person says, you go, hey, it absolutely makes sense to have the conversation. But we opened by showing we'd done some research. Now, the best way to open is with an introduction from a common trusted relationship, but that's, but that's rare, right? It is really the reality. Uh, But we need to contextualize outreach and then have a, a point of view about, uh, how they can drive improved results in their role. You know, I've got a
0: follow-up question there that's in particular about cold outbound when you're trying to show that you've got that relevance. Yeah. That's where we get so many questions from from clients, from people in this space that are trying to figure out, you know, what do I say that's going to stand out? And we've all heard the common ones. I think the most common, you actually kind of hinted at, which is, uh, I see you're hiring for role A, role B, and role C. If anybody who's listening has ever worked in recruiting, you've heard and probably <laughs> written that at some point, uh, maybe 50 times in a day. So how do they do what you're talking about when so many teams are trying to get large lists of cold but research prospects and do outbound like we are actually, even at Science?
1: Uh, yeah. And and now we live in the age where people are trying to use a, a concept called liquid syntax, where you know, they're going to inject personalization attributes into email sequences and if, you, if you're scripting the conversations for outbound people in, into what they're saying and we've all seen this done badly right like I've, I've i've received emails hey tony i i noticed that we're both based in sydney you know would it make sense to catch up for a conversation i'm going well i know there's five and a half million people live in sydney i don't know why the fact we both live in sydney means we should be having a conversation you know, or hey, hey Tony, I noticed you work in this industry. You know, when, when, when can we find twenty minutes to explore synergies? Like it's just it's just idiotic communication, uh, and we all get that. And I've got twenty-one and a half thousand unread emails in my inbox. Um, I've got three hundred and forty thousand followers and direct connections in LinkedIn. When I get into LinkedIn email, I just drown as well. Um, so, so none of this stuff actually gets read. So the answer to your question is you need to find a meaningful attribute that's relevant to that person. So think about, for this buyer persona, how are they measured in their role by their boss? So, for example, if I was trying to to sell the services that science does or what I do with sales enablement, I've got a new business, I've started Sales IQ Global, but if I was trying to to, to sell that uh, and I decided that in my ICP uh, tech scale-ups, Right. So I'm after technology companies, they're in scale up mode. I go, great. Okay. And in these cities, maybe, and the and the subcategory of tech would be a SaaS player, a software company. I go, great. I've defined my ICP to a degree. Now, what are the trigger events I'm looking for that that where something's happened that creates awareness of need in the mind of the buyer? It'll contextualize my outreach and give give me relevance, you know, for, for them. Um, so I think, okay, what about a company that's done a Series A or Series B capital race? Now, you you can point tech at this, right? So then it's as simple as, hey, Mike, congrats on the Series B capital race. Reason for the call is I've, I, I know that you're on the hook now for big growth targets with your investors and board. I've got some ideas on how you can de-risk that and in a way that gives a lot more confidence to them, you know, in, in you as the CEO. Do you mind if I ask? <laughs> You know, where do, where do you see the current gaps in hitting the aggressive growth targets you've got right now, right? So, so I'm off to the races. And the thing is, I know that that CEO is thinking, holy crap, you know, I've just, I've just accepted millions of dollars. <laughs> I've promised them all, all of this miraculous growth now. Hey, you know, I've proven everything. All we need is some capital and we'll scale revenue. We all know that that, you know, normally does not happen. So we know they're worried about it. So we speak to what matters to them. Eric, were you going to say something then?
2: Oh, I've got plenty to say on this, especially this topic or these types of campaigns in general. I think that one of the key elements that you really touched on that comes before all others is relevance. And I have to be relevant to the person that I'm you know, reaching out to, regardless of channel, email, phone, LinkedIn, doesn't matter. If I can't demonstrate relevance to their world right off the bat, then I, my goose is cooked because I don't really have a second act or I won't get a second act, especially with busy people like yourself who have 300,000 some odd followers and lots of other things demanding or pulling on your schedule. That said, the interesting thing too about like trigger event selling is understanding how like the chess pieces play across the board. Because just, you know, even if all my outreach was, was, hey, I saw you raise capital, congrats on that. And then right into my pitch, it still falls just as flat where I yeah. think the connective tissue and the bridge really works in your example is now I know that you've got some big aggressive growth targets to hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, because now I've, I've really hit on what is top of mind for the person that I'm writing to that ultimately will engage them or cause them to want to engage with me based on their needs, based yes. on the relevance yes. to them.
1: Yeah, Eric, that is, that is great advice for everybody listening. It's, it's exactly true. And, there's, and, and there's, a whole, uh, there's a whole lot of paradox in selling. But if, if we think about at one level, it's impossible for us to be successful in our role unless we can build relationships of trust. And the paradox is nobody worth getting to who does not yet know us, not one of those people are lonely and bored and looking for another friend in business none of them lie awake at night thinking, gee, I've got a bit of a slow day tomorrow, I really hope a salesperson gives me a call you know, and helps me while, while away some of the time with their pitch. Right? Like, so, so we need a relationship, no one wants it. And so many sellers open by talking about the very thing the person does not want. So for example, in my world of sales enablement, Nobody wants another sales methodology in their business, right? They've already invested in three or four that people don't use properly. Why would I want another one? No one wants to get their people into a training course. They go, Well, we all know training doesn't work. You go look at them two weeks later, secretly sit behind them and listen to them calling. It's still the same as what it was before the training course. Why would I want to take them away from revenue generating, customer facing activity, right? So, why would you call someone up and talk about the thing they don't want? What they do want. Is more reps on target year to date, a more accurate forecast. They want to take the stress out of the end of month and end of quarter and end of year with stronger pipeline coverage. They want to be able to hold their sellers to account for self-generating the pipe that's needed. That's what they want, so talk about that. Don't talk about the how. Uh, let, me, let me give everyone a, a true story. One of my biggest clients globally is a company called Flight Center Travel Group. They're a public corporation. They operate around the world. They've got seven different business-to-business brands. So North America, they'd be known as uh, FCM Travel. Uh, They do travel management for big enterprises. They've got Corporate Traveler as another brand. They called me after COVID hit and they said to me, hey, Tony, globally, all of our sellers and our account managers are universally getting the same pushback when they call customers or prospects. And the pushback is this, hey, Mary, I don't know why you're even calling. None of my staff are traveling. Call me back when the airlines are back in the air. I said, look, how do we deal with this? And I said, well, the first thing is mindset. We need to make the excuse the reason. The fact that none of their staff are traveling is the reason we're calling, right? So most objections are self-generated by the seller. The moment we call and we sound that we're hesitant, we sound that we don't belong at the same level as the other person, we sound needy, Hey, um, you know, uh, have I caught you at a bad time? <laughs> I even had one seller I was working with two weeks ago, and his, his opening phrase was, "Hey, I'm, I'm not sure how you feel about cold calls." I said, I would dump that phrase really quickly. Like that is not going to help you. You're saying, "I'm a cold-calling salesperson. That is not what they want in their life, right? So Because we've only got about seven seconds at best before the person just dials out. They, they may not hang the phone up. But they they stand up out of their chair, they're lifting their energy to sort of signal this call is coming to a close. They've started looking at their email and half listening. So, so the the, the thing that's important here to said to them is the first thing's mindset. Let's make the excuse the reason. And this was the narrative that we came up with. They'd called the CFO of a big corporate and they'd say, Hey Mike, now obviously they'd introduce themselves, but hey Mike, with none of your staff traveling right now, this is the ideal time for you to drive between eight and 12% of cost out of what will return to be the third to fifth biggest expense line item on your P&L. And with no one traveling, you've got no change management issues with with any of your staff, and you've got the bandwidth in your admin team. When's the last time that you reviewed your travel policy and the way that you manage travel as a process? Now, they've given me permission to share this. They're, They're a great client. They've been quietly switching over competitors, customers to them, (laughs) bringing them over so that as things thaw out from the global pandemic, they're transacting with their brand rather than the competition, right? And the thing is, they were relevant to the CFO and they made the excuse, the reason. They anticipated what the objection would be and just killed it. When you say, hey, Mike, with none of your staff traveling right now, are they going to say, why are you calling? None of my staff are traveling right now. They're not going to say that. Like you've you just said that's why I'm calling. So the thing is, we we have to get to the nub of why this is relevant to them within seconds. If we're sending emails, emails need to be three sentences, not not three paragraphs. And it's really difficult to do that. Um, I remember with my very first book I wrote, I finished it. It was 120,000 words. It took me four years to write. I was just so proud of it. I had had <laughs> I I'd, <laughs> I'd had an editor go through it all with me yeah, and then I said, i and but I just I knew it wasn't right. I got a second editor and and he fixed it by getting it down to eighty seven thousand words. right? We worked well wow. together, but but I made it better by making it shorter, right by yeah. by by killing off characters and content in the book, and that's what we need to do with our messaging. The best way you can improve your outreach is to make it shorter. The language of leaders is dollars, percentages, numbers. How do they get those results and manage their risk? They're not looking for a friend. Right? So I, I, I know we can't just spring from the bush and say, hey, Mike, there's an opportunity for you to double revenue in the next 12 months. Do you mind if I ask? They're going to go, who, who the hell are you? Right, So I know we've got to warm it up, but warm it up by showing them that we know them. And the injection of personalization is incredibly difficult. It is insanely difficult because sellers don't have the luxury of spending two and a half hours to find that killer piece of personalization for, for the call. Well, it's so valuable what you said. And
0: in particular, it's something that I mean, we've had as a topic constantly at Science, where so many callers, so many uh, prospectors in general, their instinct is to run away from, from an objection or at least say, well, that's a fair objection, but here's why it's not a problem. And we've all heard that term yes end over yes but. Yeah. It's that same idea of, the objections are actually the, the ammunition you're going to use. They're giving you information, and that's going to be the reason you're calling. One of the hardest things is to match that tone You know, where uh, I won't name the, the client, but we were coaching them up a little bit. And we talked about so many people say they already work with our competitors. What do we say? And I said, the answer is great. That's, yeah. Most of the people we work with, work with someone like them, and we'd love to show you why they end up having conversations with us. Granted, yeah. that wasn't quite the, the verbiage we... We wordsmith it a bit more. But hearing that in, in a different framework, it's just so impactful. And I think so many, uh, not only the leaders, but in particular, the enterprise sales development reps who are listening to this this call can really, really learn from that. Uh, that one little piece of advice I, I know for myself when I was coming up in the ranks was was very, very impactful. And I mean, we've read it in your books, Tony, we've seen the impact in some of your clients. It, it's just, it's huge. One thing I do want to take us down, which is a bit of a rabbit hole, but you made me think of it with what you were saying earlier. You know, you talked about using relevant value based research and using that to get in the door and then just flat out asking, is this something that's of interest to you? And yeah. recently a hot topic in particular in the EU, which is where you've done a lot of business is the ultimate four letter word that this one I can actually say in a podcast, which is GDPR. Yeah. Uh, nobody likes that one. Uh, nobody wants to talk about it. But one of the big hot topics is that at this point you have to come in and, and, Basically, say exactly what you just said. Here's the reason why this is relevant. Can I have your permission to keep talking to you about it or not? And in yep. that place, for the Americans listening who are all horrified right now, most of the Europeans actually appreciate that if you do it properly. That said, it, it almost sounds like your pitch is catered based around that that knowledge. Is that, is that a part of what went into that pitch or was that just a happy accident?
1: Uh, it, it's just a happy accident is the honest truth. So for those that are listening, there's GDPR out of Europe, there's CCPA uh, out of North America, so the the California Consumer Privacy Act legislation. Every country in the world will have some kind of do not call register legislation, do not spam me, take me away from your list. So everyone in the world has this. Um, The really interesting thing is we do a lot of futurism in the tech-powered sales book. Uh, Already today, already today, uh, AI computers have passed the Turing test in being able to f- telephone a person yeah. and book an appointment, and the human being had no idea at all they were dealing with a computer, like it's already happened. Right? The, the level of AI is insane. I was uh, I was talking to the, the co-founder of a company called Soul Machines last week. Um, amazing company, uh, but they're creating digital humans that have real personality. Mercedes Benz, uh, big Tier One banks are starting to work with them, so the, these people are doing all the interactions. So. So I believe about a third of field salespeople are going to disappear this decade. Interestingly, all sellings become inside selling you know, with COVID. <laughs> but we have to provide the level of value that really funds our role. We can talk about that a little later. But in Tech Powered Sales, I've got a little chapter uh, where I talk about the high Q case against LinkedIn a number of years ago. So... The short version is HiQ was a LinkedIn partner. They even got a partner of the year award presented to them by LinkedIn. As they built out their capabilities further, LinkedIn decided that they were becoming a bit competitive, you know, rather than just a partner. And they sent them a cease and desist letter for scraping LinkedIn public data. And HiQ took them to court and said, no, no, you know, human beings can do this and type it into a database. So how is machine reading or scraping really any different? And you allow Amazon to scrape your entire, not Amazon, sorry, Google to scrape your entire facing public-facing database. So they took them to court and LinkedIn lost the case. In that period, they'd been acquired by Microsoft for, uh, I think, $29.2 billion, right? And then Microsoft decided that they would appeal. So then they appealed and they lost again. But here's the thing. Public data is public data. And if you're concerned about GDPR or CCPA, the reality is, so long as you're not mass spamming anybody you're okay. And the moment you say hey Tony congratulations on the tech powered sales book then you're outside of the problem because your outreach is based on something you've noticed. It's a one to one interaction, right? But if you send if you send spam out to to authors saying you know hey Tony you know we are the world market leading you know innovator in supporting uh publishers and making their books number one, then that's spam, right? Because it's just a generic message going to everybody in a list. So the personalization piece is how we avoid being asked to to, to take them off a mailing list. So you're saying, hey Mike, I noticed. Hey Mike, I noticed you just did your capital B raise. Uh, hey hey Mike I've I've noticed you've just launched this new product into Canada. Uh, hey I noticed you've just opened a, a new office in San Diego um i was talking to mary last week Uh, she thought it would probably make sense for us to have a have have a chat have a conversation Um, i've got some ideas on how i think you could do you mind if i ask right but your point of view is about how they can drive improved results in their role if there's nothing more you take away from today think about i can be relevant if i have a point of view about how they can drive results in their role and then earn the right to have that conversation by showing i've done a bit of research
2: it's so funny you say that because one of the, the real interesting parts of GDPR legislation, by the way, go read it if you ever have uh, insomnia because it's, it's really <laughs> exciting stuff. But there's a passage, and the, the key phrase of the passage that most B2B outreach, one to one, human to human, turns on is legitimate interest. And I think that it's actually that phrase is probably like the right one where, hey, I'm reaching out to you from my business address to your business address with the legitimate interest of doing business with you.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it, it's based on something I've noticed. Yeah. You know, there's, there's context and relevance, right? It's, it's just mass blasting. Now, now, the problem with using um, Outreach.io, Sales Loft, uh, 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 Salesforce have got high-velocity selling or high-velocity sales now embedded in their product you know there's there's all of these amazing products ring dna you know is a is a great product as well there's there's all of these platforms the danger is human beings being 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 what we are we, we all fear botching the conversation we all fear rejection so everyone treats the phone like it's covered in spiders and we just think look i'll just i'll just blast out emails because most sellers are busy doing enough not to feel guilty they're not actually doing what it takes to be successful, and you can't be successful today unless you adopt a blended, omnichannel, concurrent approach to outreach. It's got to be phone, leave a voicemail, send an email—like that—that's that, a basic triple that we talk about in combo. Um, you know, and there's 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 others. Um, Jeb Blunt in, in fanatical prospecting talks about this. Uh, you know, there's 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 other people like John Barrows. Um, Beck Holland is great. You know, there's there's lots, there's lots there's no new truth in the world, right? But so I call it a combo. The most basic combo is a triple phone, voicemail, email. A couple of days later, just hit reply all to the email and bump it back at them. Say, hey, Mike, I'm just following up. How's Thursday 4.15? Then send them a calendar invitation. How bold is that, right? Now, if the whole world starts selling calendar invitations as part of their prospecting, it's going to, you know, like then that'll stop working because everybody's doing it. But the reality is you want to send the message, I'm relevant and I'm determined. Don't ignore me because I'm not going away. It's just easier to respond. You know, give me a valid no or give me some real engagement, but don't ignore me. Don't don't ignore me. I'm not going to stop. Because we know that most sellers give up in less than three attempts, right? And we know that it takes, depending on whose research we choose to believe, somewhere between seven and 13 touches, to earn someone responding to us most sellers give up after sort of two but if you if if you condense these down to concurrent combos phone what happens is you know the the, the person's phone rings and they go don't know who that is not taking it that's fine that's all good then their phone goes ding oh they left a voicemail i wonder who it was right hey hey it's it's tony from science just looking to get 10 minutes with you next week i'll send you an email I wonder what that's about. Ding! There's an email. They'll open the email, but if you just send that email on its own, just get ignored, right? Um, so, and senior executives have the habit of accepting calendar invitations because the only people that send them to them are the are people that search- deserve to be in their calendar. Right now, we know that everything that works then doesn't work once everybody starts doing it. Right, but but you just you have to bring your own creativity you've got to be a passionate believer in the value that you offer in a conversation before ever talking about a solution you have to turn up with a worthwhile point of view you need to be brief and talk the language of leaders you need to make sure you've personalized to show them that you know them as the way of earning a little bit of time and, and that's absolutely the key to driving outreach. And whether it's on the phone or it's in an email or it's in LinkedIn or it's a text message or it's a calendar invitation or whether it's WeChat or WhatsApp or you know all of these different platforms, but you've got to recognize as a seller, be creative, be determined, uh, don't over-rely on email and automation. You've, you've got to find a way to be a cyborg, which is what we talk about in the book. You've got to blend the best of being human with the scale and leverage and power that automation and tech will provide you. So just for those who are
0: listening, tell your friends about the podcast, tell your friends about Tony Hughes, don't tell them about using calendaring so that it doesn't become overused. Uh, (laughs) That said, I really liked one little tidbit that you threw in there and you glossed over it, but I think it's really helpful for a lot of people that are listening, which is Building the idea, you know, since you're using the cyborg theme, I'll quote a famous one: "and the idea of I'll be back." Um, rather than just sneakily sneaking sneaking in one touch point, then another, then another, you're saying, "Make it very clear: I'm going to call you again. I'm going to send you another email. I'm going to leave yeah. you voicemails. I'm coming."
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is. It is so important. Another true story: a, a sales rep I was working with um, in a, a big. Tier one software company. Uh, She was a lady. I was teaching her about combo prospecting and she was very, very reluctant to include text messaging as one of the channels. She's going, but aren't people going to respond really negatively if I start texting them? Like, isn't that an invasion of their privacy? I'm going, no. The mobile phone is a business tool, right? Text is a valid channel. If you're getting into Facebook, yes. You know, that person in all likelihood regards Facebook as for their family and their personal life, right? So I'd stay out of that. So uh, here's what she did. She was trying to get to another another a buyer who was also a woman, right? So she'd, she'd run this outreach all spaced out and just got ignored. So then she did a combo and she included a text message. And this was the first time she'd ever had any response from this prospect. And the response was no, all it was so she texted her you know uh how's wednesday because on the third combo she chose to ask for time and send a calendar invitation calendar invitation got ignored but she added text you know hey just following up how's how's you know thursday nine fifteen? no and then she thought oh gee that sounds like a like a pissed off no right <laughs> so she then said oh how about f- friday eleven fifteen? yes so she updated the calendar invitation and this is pre-COVID and then she turns up. So she's waiting in the boardroom and she thinks, is this woman going to walk in here and tear strips off me? You know, how how dare you, you know, blast me with all of these messages? You know, don't you know I'm busy? Who the hell are you? Guess what this woman did? She walked in, smiled and walked over, shook her hand and said, I am so sorry, <laughs> you know, for for ignoring uh, so, so, so much of the communication you were sending uh, and sorry about that text message. When you texted me, I was on a conference call with a customer who was threatening to cancel. And I had my HR manager with me asking me to sign off a letter of offer for a new employee. So this is just one of these type A crazy personality people. Right? But most sellers misinterpret being ignored as being rejected. And and, and they're, just, they're just not the same thing. We we need to be brave and bold, right? Not, not bull in the China shop, not over the top. We don't overreach with our message. That was the problem with Challenger, with Challenger selling. A lot of people overreached, you know, with their with their challenger insights, you know, or whatever it was, and it just didn't work. Right. So we need some humility, but we need, need to believe in what we're doing. I think it's
2: interesting because. I I don't know. I've always entered the conversation maybe from the opposite end, being on the buy side for as long as I have. You know, being CMO, so many different organizations. You you see so many different types of cold outreach, majority of which are bad. Um, no lie, not gonna <laughs> sugarcoat it. But the thing that most prospectors really never it never dawns upon them is just how much volume there is in any exec's life. I mean, you just threw out there the, the type A personality exec. Uh, yeah, that's most of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and these are all super over-scheduled, busy people that, you know, are bombarded from all sides all the time. As such, one of the things that I think, and I'd love, love to get your thoughts on this, the ability to kind of constantly like not bump, but you know, come with value that is almost blessed with amnesia. In other words, like where I'm not trying to create guilt around your lack of response, but I'm trying to get my message in knowing full well that you don't remember the people that emailed you yesterday, let alone like three weeks ago.
1: Eric, uh, again, that's great advice. I, I say to people, don't remind the prospect of all of your failure. As right. the seller, but don't say, "Hey, Mike, I'm not sure whether you've seen my 13 previous emails." Like, don't, 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 don't say that crap, right? So, just, just be positively persistent. I've got my own um, podcast, webinar show I run called CEO Sales Insights, and last week I interviewed Simon Tate, uh, who's the CEO for Adobe, running Asia Pacific, so about 5,000 employees. And on this show, I do it for two reasons. One is for other CEOs or aspiring leaders. You know, how do you drive top-line revenue growth and customer-centric sales culture? But for sellers, it gives you an insight into how do you get into the calendar? How do you go and engage a CEO? And one of the questions I ask is, you know, what does it take to get in your calendar, right? And one of the things that Simon said is that uh, if you don't come to me, yes, Simon said, (laughs) one of the things that Simon Tate said is that, if you don't come to me through a trusted relationship in my network, it's it's almost impossible for you to get into my calendar, right? So so you need to find the path to me through someone that I regard as credible and trust. It could be someone within Adobe, it could be someone external. But the other thing he said that's interesting, uh, he said to, he said this to me actually outside the call when talking later. He said often people will do that piece correctly but then they'll keep talking and they will un-get the meeting, right? So, and it's because he said, look, if someone rang him and said, hey, Simon, uh, I was talking to Tony Hughes last week. He thinks you and I need to have a conversation. It's it's about this, uh, how's your calendar for Thursday? Like, you get the meeting. But if you start diving into a whole lot of detail, right, because the thing that Simon told me is that anything that is operational Not interested in. (laughs) He's he's going to delegate that off to somebody. So the moment you start saying things that make it operational. And the truth is, for most sellers, they 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 take a courage pill and they 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 do it, you know, they they call into the C-suite, but then they're thinking, holy hell, like what what am I gonna actually say? I don't really belong here. And that's and that's part of the whole thing. We all suffer from imposter syndrome in our life. um, but as a seller, you've just got to work hard and think, I need to create an evidenced point of view about how this person can drive improved results in their role. If I'm talking to a CEO, why am I relevant to them in how they operate with their board? Right? So I'm going to find a trigger event that makes us relevant. I need a point of view that's 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 about something that's also important to them and I'm going to be able to prove it. I'm so well, yeah, well, we, you know, one of the other organizations we work with, they they done their series B. <laughs> You know, and what and, and what what they found was that was they were able to take the stress out of all of the board forecasting. You know, they, you know, they 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 didn't have to or they they diluted equity a lot less when they did Series A because they were able to actually exceed the revenue targets. You know, the you know, every time you're raising capital, you're making promises. If you're gonna overachieve on the promise, then you're not gonna to have to dilute as badly in the next round. You think, well, that's exactly what a CEO cares about. Right now, but if you talk about the how you're going to do all of that, well, go talk to this
0: person in the organization. As usual, you keep spilling so many different tips out there that I'm not sure which one to dive on top of. Uh, one thing I want to make sure is that our, our listeners don't miss some of these points. Uh, one of the things you mentioned was about not following, or not just saying words like following up on my last email and things like that, because Funny, I don't know if you've been reading my LinkedIn recently. I made a post about this I think yesterday, uh, basically saying the same thing. If you you think you're saying you're being persistent, what you're really saying is you already decided to ignore me once, so don't bother taking the the time to reconsider now. But also, you mentioned something about challenger, and we get people who love challenger, who hate challenger, and I think the way that you frame the advice is is really good. Uh, It reminds me of my old days of playing professional poker, actually. There's a famous book for those who are poker players who are listening called Super System. It's written by a a famous old guy named Doyle Brunson, classic World Series winner. And it's kind of a running joke in the poker community of professionals that there's nothing worse you can do for someone that's an amateur than give them this book. You wanna win a lot of money from someone, give them this book and then bring them to the table. Uh, It's a very useful advanced tool once you know the rules, it teaches you how to break them in ways that use aggression and uh, in very similar ways to Challenger to to get advantages. And I think Challenger is similar, where so many of our listeners have talked about, or even guests have talked about how they use Challenger, how it's important to, uh, to utilize in certain ways. But I want to throw that out, especially for the newer folks in enterprise sales development, that it's exactly that. It's this advanced tool that Can be super helpful and also can be exactly what Tony described, which is a way to beat somebody over the head. Um, (laughs) So I don't know if that's a positive or a negative comment about Challenger, but I, I think the way you frame it is really strong.
1: Challenger is valid, but it's got so many moving parts and so much complexity and such a stratospheric level of execution that's required to do it effectively that very few people can actually harness it for good results you know they you know they they talk about rational drowning and (laughs) like you know there's all of these steps you're trying to go through with the prospect you know it's like someone says I'm going to use Sandler you know like Sandler's good but you know you start doing it or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to use Neil Rackham's spin framework for every conversation I have with everybody like it just becomes wooden and unnatural like the, the thing is be brief be relevant have a point of view have some killer questions that lead to the commercial value of change. Like if, if you just think about that, right? If you overscripting things is is really dangerous. And that's why in combo prospecting we just kept it simple, right? We just said, it's really simple, right? Nail your narrative and then pattern interrupt the way that people just tend to ignore sellers, right? So, so just just use just just make their device in their pocket ring, ding, and bing until they think, holy crap, you know, I've got to get back to this person. My phone's gonna catch fire or melt down if I, don't, if I don't respond to them. And at least if they phone you and yell at you, like you got some engagement. The the worst thing for sellers is false hope. You know, so many sellers have got these lists that are never going to buy from them. The sooner you can figure this out, you know, the better. Uh, and obviously I'll just maybe finish with this. Um, you know, in, in enterprise selling, what we design in our in our in our cadence and sequences, you know, within a cadence, you know, designing the channels that we're going to use and the frequency at which we're going to drive that outreach, we need to think about the context of building it because inbound is very different to outbound or monitoring trigger events or monitoring signals that indicate propensity to buy, you know, will change the kind of message that we're sending. But again, the problem is people end up with, you know, 173 different sequences that they could pick from in their, in their outreach tool, you know, all of which are hopeless. You know, what I just find is so many of the sequences have just got such bad messaging, you know, and the two things that make it bad is it's about us and it's too long. I think that's a perfect place to close. Tony,
0: thank you so much. We pushed it right to the last minute, uh, but we really, really appreciate you joining us. That was just a fantastic conversation. I, uh, I think our production team is going to have a bunch of fun pulling all the notes out of it. And uh, if you have a minute, if you have to run, that's great. If not, if you have
1: anything that you'd like to pitch uh, before you go, you are welcome to tell people how to find you. Thank, thank you. Look, the first thing I'll say is I'm a huge fan of science. What, what you guys you. do is you address the hardest, the most <laughs> difficult, and the most important phase of selling. It is it is absolutely a specialist area. It is brutally tough. You gotta, you gotta be smart, tough, disciplined, have good pro- processes to do it. So I love what you do as an organization. Um, if anybody wants to find me, just connect with me on LinkedIn. So Tony Hughes in LinkedIn, uh, go Tony Hughes Sydney. You'll find me in LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me at TonyHughes.com.au. Uh, I've got I've got hundreds of free videos, w- webinar content, podcasts. Uh, there's even some free training you can get access to on that website. Uh, And if you're interested in sales enablements, uh, go to salesiqglobal.com. All of my IP around combo prospecting and everything else is all there in an e-learning format where we do live coaching with people as well. Uh, But it's been a privilege to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, you'd be more than happy to have another conversation down the track. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Eric. You bet. Thanks, Tony.